This is an incredible place in the Word of God. There is a myth that goes on about Satan. Uh, the myth is that, that he's in hell in this red suit, you know, with a pitchfork and tail and horns and all of that. Well, the truth of the matter is, he's never been in hell. Not yet. Not yet. He will not be sentenced into what is called the lake of fire or hell until the final rub rebellion against God is completed at the time or the end of the millennium. Now we're going to study about the millennium because there's been some of you have been asking, what about the millennium? What is that like? Who goes into the millennium? Will we, if they've been raptured? Well, we're going to study about that, but today we're going to touch on it. But it says in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, 7th through the 10th verses, it says, When the thousand years are completed, when the end of the millennium is over, the devil who deceived them, the people and the nations, it says, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the time that he will be sentenced into the lake of fire. Therefore, Today, far from being in hell, Satan, as a matter of fact, we study from Scripture, is in two different places. One, he roams the earth. We learn in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that it says that, that Satan is roaming the earth, seeking someone to devour. The other place that he is, is in heaven. We are told in this chapter, chapter 12, Verse 10, that he is in heaven itself accusing believers before God day and night. It's one of his jobs. That he is accusing me. He goes before God, look, look at John. Look, you, you, you call him a follower of yours, look what he did. And Jesus Christ stands up and says, Father, I died for that sin. I've... I've I've paid the price for that sin. And so these are the places where Satan is to this day. But there is a war that goes on in your life and my life, and I'd like to share it with you a little bit. There is, there is between everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this unbreakable bond between you and God. I want you to see it. So I've asked you to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 12. Just put a bookmark there or, or whatever and hold your place and turn back to the left, of course, to the book of Romans. You'll go past uh, like Philipp Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, and uh, you'll go past 1st and 2nd Corinthians and you will hit then Romans. I'm going to read to you some words penned by Paul that are probably in my opinion, some of the finest words you and I will ever, ever read or comprehend that God promises to you and me in this bond that he has between us. In Romans chapter 8, did I say 10? I'm sorry, I think I did because we're going to go right after this to John chapter 10. But I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. I want to start in verse 31. Paul pens these words. What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, delivered, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with, also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. And who is the one who will condemn? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Remember I said, when Satan accuses, he comes up and says, no, I died for that. He intercedes for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? It is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul writes these wonderful words in verse 38. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have this unbreakable bond with God. Turn now to your left a couple of books to the book of John. You'll go past Acts and then find John chapter 10. That's where I made my mistake. I, I said Romans chapter 10 and it was really chapter 8. And I want us to go and look at John chapter 10. Since there is absolutely no possibility, Scripture teaches, of this bond between us and God being broken, and the reason there is no possibility, because nobody can take you out of the Father's hands. What, what John chapter 10 is going to teach you and me, and in reality, is that we do not hold our own salvation. No, we are held together by God. And Jesus Christ makes it crystal clear here. Look, in John chapter 10, um, let's start with, with verse 26, for instance. It says, you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. He then says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then he says these marvelous words, verses 20, 28 and 29. He says, I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Then he goes on to say, and my Father, in verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Then he makes this marvelous statement, I and my Father are one. Now, this was the statement of statements as far as the Jews were concerned when Jesus was on this earth. He has just assured everyone that nobody will take those that follow him out of his hands and his Father, who is greater than all, no one will be able to take them out of the Father's hands. We are secure. Then he says, I'm God. I and the Father are one. 
The reason we know that he said he is God is because they then, when he made that statement, picked up stones to stone him. He asks them a question. Let's read of it here in verse 32. He says, I showed you many good works from the Father. From which one of them are you going to stone me? And they say clearly, for good works, verse 33, for a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, just made yourself out be, to be God. There was no doubt in anyone who, who saw Jesus Christ walk this earth and heard the things that he said. They never doubted that he was God or that he proclaimed to be God. They knew what he had said of himself. And so, to get to the point where we're making here in, in Revelation chapter 12, You and I are secure. This war is raging around us. Satan is trying to separate us from from this love of God, but he can't. It's an inseparable, unbreakable bond. So instead, Satan is trying to, to, and and I, I might add, far too successfully, he's trying to turn God's children against their Lord. He can't break their bond. Can he break ours? Some might ask how? Through disobedience? Through unbelief? Through disunity within the body of Christ? Through apathy? Just a hum attitude about our faith? Church? For some it's getting too much. They've they receive so much of, this, of these earthly treasures that they kind of trust in themselves rather than God. And for others, it's, they have too little and they, they feel like God's just given up on them. None of that is true. And so Satan tries to turn God's children away from them. Satan's battle plan is brutally simple. It's to eliminate first all who trust and believe in Jesus Christ. And if he cannot eliminate us, then he desires to destroy our faith. So he neutralizes us. Well, that's the setting of where we are now in this 12th chapter. Read with me, please, this magnificent place in Scripture. Revelation chapter 12. Let's... uh, Start, please, with verse 7, and we'll finish this chapter. It says in verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his his angels were waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. But they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. He and his angels were thrown down with him. And then John writes in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. 
Verse 11, key. And they overcame him because of three things. The blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and because they did not love their lives even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing, knowing that he only has a short time. Verses 13 through 17 are, are, are at, at best, their figurative language, uh, symbolically depicting Israel and all who follow after Jesus Christ, their escape from Satan and, how, and his all-out assault against them, and how God provides and protects. Read verses 14 to 17. No, excuse me, verse 13. After it says he only has a short time. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And so in verse 17 we learn the dragon was enraged. He was enraged with the woman. Therefore he went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You might say, okay, where's where's the blessing in this? You're going to find it and you're going to see it. And when you grasp it, if you do, if by the grace of God I can give this message not by my power, but by His, I think when you walk out of here today, you're going to sense a, a feeling of, of such assurance of, of who you are and who Christ is in you and what this, this Christmas season really, truly means. Let's pray that that might happen. Father, I do, I beg of you, move me aside. I, I ask you, Father, more than ever before, if, that's possible. I, I've said this before, Father, so I, I think I say it too much, but I, I do ask that you would move me aside. I, I, want, I want clearly, Father, for you to be heard in each of our hearts, that it not be someone that gives a message that, they, uh, that anyone here might hear, but rather that we might hear your still, small voice speaking to our hearts. Please, Father, please. Bless us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everyone here. Father, I love them. You well know more than life itself. I pray that, I pray that we will be a church that you would be pleased with. I pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. In verses 7 through 10, Satan gets thrown down to the earth. And he's thrown down to wage war. And I, I tried to share with you what this war is like. It's, it's, a, it's a battle for your mind. It's, it's a battle for your soul. For those of us who know the Lord, Satan knows well that he cannot take us away from heaven. We are secure there. But he can, 
he can enable, or, or he can, and that's the right, not right word, he can dismantle, that's not the right word either, can't think of it, but he can render you and me useless for the cause of Christ. He can take us in this very essence of who we are, knowing that he has no control, your bond with God is unbreakable. He cannot snatch you out of either the Son's hand nor the Father. But if he can make you and me apathetic, useless for the things of God, then he has caused some purpose in his life. That's what he wants to do in this war. Now what happens here is, is an amazing thing. He is thrown down to the earth and he, he realizes that he now only has a short time. He becomes desperate. He wants to just explode upon these people. In verse 7, it's really interesting that the, the Greek construction of that one verse indicates that it is Satan that starts the battle. It, it is better translated, Michael and his angels had to fight against the dragon and his angels. And verses 8 and 9, as we just read, tell us that Satan cannot win. He therefore is thrown down to the earth. And there the battle begins. It begins in our time just as much as during the time of the Great Tribulation. And what I'm going to do is blend the two. I'm going to talk about where we are today and also where it will be during the Great Tribulation. A time that you and I, I believe by the grace of God, will not have to deal with because we will be in heaven. But, nonetheless, we are dealing with that battle right now. Satan would love to render you and me useless. He would love to, to render this church useless that we not lead people to Christ. I, I want you to know that I was brought to a tear this, this first service because a gentleman came up to me and said, thank you for taking your time studying through the Bible. And I said, well, I don't know any other way. And he said, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. I came to trust in Christ here. And he says, my life has never, and he was not a young man. And he said, my life has never, ever been the same. That's the privilege that you and I have, studying through the Bible as we do. And so this battle now is here. We, we know what our battle plan is. We've, we were told by, throughout Scripture, whether it's old or as well as new, like Paul tells us in the New Testament in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, that here's how you do battle. Put on the full armor of God, he says, so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We said last time in verse 6 that God shows us his care for his people. Whether it be Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. It's all those who run for protection. He protects them. He provides for them. He nourishes them. They flee to a place where he says he had prepared for them in this wilderness. We see from verse 12, there is a rejoicing and a woe. The rejoicing is in heaven because they, they rejoice because they say the salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority has been given to the Son, Jesus Christ. There is a woe, though, to the earth because the accuser, 
of the brethren now has been thrown down to this earth. And with that, we see why God had to protect and provide for those who fled from the evil one. In verses 12 and 13, the devil and his demons make it an all-out war against Israel and all who have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. Satan, it says, in these two verses, knows that he only has a short time left. So he comes, it says, to persecute the woman. We learn that to be Israel. And her child, we learn that to be the Messiah. Over and over again, we, we see from Scripture that Satan tried to destroy Israel. From the very get-go, he tried to destroy Israel. And he also tried to kill off the Messiah. He thought he was successful at the cross. He thought he won. When, when Jesus Christ died and they buried him, I, I, I would imagine there must have been a sigh of relief that went through his heart. Only, only to find out three days later on Easter, what we celebrate as Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I tell people that come here on Easter that we celebrate Easter here all year long. Because the joy of our lives, the joy of our, our existence is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know and love and trust in Him. That's the joy of our lives. So now Satan's only hope here in the Great tribulation is to stop the Jews and the Gentiles from fleeing from him. And so, as I said to you a moment ago, when we read verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, that's figurative language. It's, it's symbolically depicting Israel and all the other believers who have trusted in Christ. He allows them to escape from Satan's all-out attempt and assault against their lives. And we see how God provides and protects and cares and nourishes for all whom He loves, us as well as them. Now the question you and I might ask is why? Why does Satan want to kill everybody off? It's like I said before. He realizes now he only has a short time left. And he thinks and knows if he can destroy everybody who believes, then God will have nobody to enter into the millennium. And if he has no one to enter into the millennium, then God's promises would be unfulfilled. We'll see this all unfold in the weeks to come. But sufficient to say, we see a deeper understanding of what Jesus Christ meant when he said in the book of Matthew, the 24th chapter. You've probably read it before, but now when you read it the next time, you're going to think, oh yes, yes, this makes more sense. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, there will be a great tribulation. Well, we're studying about it here. And he says it's such a time that has never occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. In other words, this is going to be the most horrendous battle of them all. Then he says, listen, verse 22 of Matthew 24, Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have saved. No life would have been saved. 
Satan's plan to destroy everybody on the earth during the Great Tribulation so that no one would be able to go into the, to the, to the millennium. So it says, unless those days would have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those who flee to the wilderness with him, he says those days will be cut short. In other words, Satan will not be able to stop the plan of God. There will be those who will go into the millennium. Sufficient to know that Satan now is desperate. He knows now that he only has a short time left. Daniel spoke of this. Daniel forewarned at this time in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what Daniel says. Almost verbatim to what we are reading now and studying. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, the time he's speaking of is the end of the days, the great tribulation. He says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, he will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, Daniel writes, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. That's what's happening here. They will be fleeing and taken to a place that they will be cared for. How? I don't know yet. I'm not sure we can put a, a bow around verses 13 through 17 yet. How they get to the wilderness, how they go there on the wings of an eagle, I don't know. I do know this though. It's been predicted and God will care for those who flee from the evil one, Satan, during those days. Now we learn from verse 10 that Satan accuses the brethren in heaven itself day and night. If there is a sin that you and I have committed, he stands up and says, Look, I told you he's worthless. He, he is of no value to you, God. And Jesus Christ stands up and says, I died for that sin. Yeah, that's a hallelujah if ever was one. And in verse 11, we learn the great truth of what Jesus Christ does for us when he stands up and says, I died for that, Father. I'm the payment for that, Father. That's why I went to the cross, Father. That's why I shed my blood, Father. I died for that sin. And so in verse 11, we learn that we become overcomers. Now we've studied that before. Rob, Rob, Rob Selig taught beautifully out of, out of 1 John. In fact, you might want to, well, let me see if it's too early to have you turn there. Uh, turn to 1 John if you wouldn't mind. Just hold your place here. But if you're holding your place here, I do want you to see what is mentioned in verse 11. It says that we overcome... We overcome. And it says that we overcome by three different things. Watch. They overcame him because of, one, the blood of the Lamb, and two, because the word of our testimony, and three, because we do not love our lives even to death. What does that mean? Now John gives us the only basis that we have victory over Satan, and that is to be an overcomer. It says in 1 John 4, 4, very famous verse. He says, you are from God, little children, 
And you have overcome because greater is he, what, that's in you than he who is in the world. A great verse. We overcome because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Our victory for eternal life is not found in a religious belief system. It's not found in any particular denomination either. No one church has the hold on it. No, our victory for eternal life is, well, let's see. I ask you to turn to 1 John. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, would you please? If you remember, when we studied through the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, each church, it said, overcame, those that overcame, it said, received a blessing, a certain blessing. Overcoming is, is critical to your life and my life. John explains this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Let me refresh your memory of what Rob taught and what we have read before. It says in verse 4, Whatever is born of God does what? Overcomes. Overcomes the world. And this is our victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. The victory that overcomes for you and me is pure and simple. It is our faith. Now, look at the next verse. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, that's... That is, I love, I love 1 John 5 a lot. 1 John 5 changed my life some 30 so many years ago. It is in there that is written, the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son and he or she who has the Son of God has life and he or she who has not the Son of God has not life. These things I have written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that they might know that they have everlasting life. That, that's 1 John 5, 11 through 13. It changed my life. I, I've even put it to memory. So our overcoming is simply tied to our faith in Jesus Christ. That's your and my victory, plain and simple. And so in verse 11, if you turn back with me, please, to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to settle into verse 11 and we're going to kind of do some cross-referencing. You can either turn or you can listen real closely and look at it later. In verse 11 of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, our victory for overcoming is expressed through the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb that John the Baptist once proclaimed is the one who takes away the sin of this world. That's John chapter 1, verse 29. Satan, who we learn in verse 10, accuses us before God in heaven day and night, has his accusations fall short when Jesus Christ reminds him and the Father that he died for that. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we learn this. John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do, if anyone sins, he says, we have an advocate 
with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it says in verse 2 that he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation. That means the payment. He is the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, John writes, but also for those of the whole world. In other words, he died for sin. You see, Jesus is your only advocate. He is your only help. There isn't any other ways. I know there's, it's popular. Some ignorantly try to proclaim that there are many paths to God. That's not true. Not, not through the heart of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 6, nobody comes to the Father but through me. Now, he didn't stutter when he said that, did he? You don't have to go to theology class. You don't have to know Greek to know that you can't come to the Father unless you come through Him. The price for your sin and my sin has been paid in full through the blood of the Lamb. So, number one, we overcome. We have victory because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We also have victory and overcome because of the word of our testimony. It takes us back, or it should, to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where Paul wrote these famous words. He says, if we confess, in other words, if we give testimony with our mouth as Jesus as our Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Paul writes, for with the heart a person believes. That results in righteousness. Not our righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And he also writes, with our mouth we confess. In other words, give testimony. That results in salvation, he writes. You know what that tells you and me? It tells us that our words and our actions ought to agree that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. In other words, what we say ought to match up with what we do. Our walk ought to match up with our talk. So, in verse 11 of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, we overcome. We have victory through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of our testimony. And this last one, it's so important and yet it's so overlooked, you hardly hear it preached about. It says that we overcome, we have victory, because we do not love our lives even to death. My hero in, in, in the Bible is a, is a guy named Paul, who penned these, room, these words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He said, For me to live is Jesus Christ, and to die is what? Gain. For me to live is Jesus Christ, but if I were to die, it's just gain. It's better. I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven. We overcome when we give our lives for the cause of Christ. Oh, it may not be your physical life. I mean, we might not be martyrs, 
like the people we found in, in Revelation chapter 6, it was verses 9 and 10, where they were, they were before the throne of God and they were asking God, how long will you wait to avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? And, and he told them, it'll be a short while, just wait. But it would be a, it would be a part of our lives to, to reject the sinful things of this world and die to them. It might not be physical, but it, it can be just dying to self. Jesus kind of capsulated the, your and my life as believers in one verse. It's in Luke. It's in the ninth chapter. It's the 23rd verse. You, you can turn there, but listen, if I start it, you're going to know it. But you can turn to it, and maybe you want to underline it if you haven't. Jesus simply said these words, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. That's really key. Take up your cross daily and then do what? Follow me. In the essence, you want to know what Christianity is? That's it. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. Christ. In other words, to die to sin, to repent from it, to live and follow Jesus Christ is with all of your heart every single day. You see, the, the Christian life, the true Christian life is profoundly simple according to the Word of God. Living it's fairly difficult, but it's simple to understand Number one, we overcome. We have victory when we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of this world. We also overcome and have victory when we give testimony to the word of the Lord. Paul made this wonderful statement in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It's kind of my, what I've taken hopefully as my life. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Nor am I. He says, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew as well as the Greek, Jew and Gentile alike. So we overcome when we give testimony, and our testimony matches our walk. And thirdly, we overcome when we give our lives for the cause of Jesus Christ, when we become dead to our sin, ourselves, and yet alive to our Savior. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says that you and I must present our bodies to Christ as a living and holy sacrifice. Now that is kind of a... Uh, I can't think the word. But it's kind of interesting because to give yourself as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice was supposed to be dead. But no, we are to give ourselves a living sacrifice, which is, it says, our spiritual service of worship. We're to make ourselves dead to this world. We're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now I want to close with this thought. We've taught it before, but it bears repeating. 
you can hold, you don't have to hold your place in, in the book of Revelation right now. You can just turn to 2 Corinthians. If you were to turn to the left and you went past 1st, 2nd Peter and Hebrews and Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians and Galatians, the next book you'll come to is 2nd Corinthians and stop at chapter 10. I'm not going to tell you the verse yet because I don't want you to start reading. I want you to, <laughs> I'd like for you to listen for a second. 2nd Corinthians chapter 10. How do we become dead to ourselves? How do we become alive to Christ? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, which I find to be one of the most compelling verses in all of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Here it is. And we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Moment by moment, whenever a thought comes to you, the first thing you ought to do is ask the Lord, should I or should I not do this? If yes, I can do it, then go ahead, enjoy. But if it's no, then you are to die to that thought or that desire and rather follow Jesus Christ instead. I say it's simple and yet I say it's profound. Let me share with you why. For some, someone asked me the other day, very, very innocently, why don't we have just real wine with communion? It would be kind of nice. I said, no, I don't think we can do that. So why? Now let me show you with why. For some of us here to have a, a sip of wine be nothing big. Sip it, drink it, say thanks no more. That's fine. While for another person, that same taste of wine could lead to a path of destruction for them and their family. Now, when I was explaining this to this person, we were having lunch together, and when we went out, there was this gelato ice cream place, which is, gelato ice cream is like heroin to me. <laughs> There's no just having a little bit. And I said to him, let's go have some ice cream. And he had to drag me. No, he says, I don't think we should. And, 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 and to me... That is something that I can't just have a little bit of, ice cream. Kay does not have any in the house. I know, I've looked. <laughs> it's just not. For some people, we have to be careful. And when a thought comes to us, we need to stop. And we have to ask God, can I or should I do this or that? And so we are to take, it says, every thought captive that comes our way to the obedience of our, of our Lord. We are to die to ourselves. We are not to love our lives even to death. And so is it the next verse, and I told you you didn't have to look, and 
In Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For this reason, in other words, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of your testimony, and because of you do not love your life even to death, he says, For this reason, rejoice. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Rejoice because you have overcome, folks. You and I have overcome if we've trusted in Christ. And we can rejoice because our salvation is completed. It's done with. The battle is on. The war is on. Satan wants to render you disabled in this battle. He wants to take you away from being effective for the cause of Christ. To take your spiritual gift and put it on the side so you can't use it because of sin. But God wants you to be used And so as you and I walk into this wonderful, wonderful time of the year, we can rejoice. We can rejoice because of the blood of the Lamb, because the word of our testimony, and because we do not love our lives even to death. In other words, we're willing to die to sin. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It is a great verse. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Father, bless us this day. More, more importantly, Father, wherever we may go, may we bless you somehow, some way. Father, may we be a people that just love and bless you. Bring us back next week, Father, to, to study your word Give us the joy of our salvation. Please, dear Father. And may we be a blessing to those we come in contact with, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all more than life itself. God bless you. Have a great, 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 great day. Love you, love you, love you much.